This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. And I'm Tane Danger. Eric Roper's fiance. And we're standing here. You can hear the river rushing in the background. You can see the Horseshoe Dam, and you can sort of make out that the St. Anthony Falls is beyond that. We can look at downtown Minneapolis because where are we, Tane? We are on beautiful Nicollet Island, a truly unique place along all of the Mississippi River, but obviously extra special to Minnesotans and Minneapolitans in particular. And why is it special to us? Well, it's very special to us because this is where we are getting married this fall. I know. It's very exciting. We're going to get married right on the ground where we are standing on. We're literally standing where our ceremony will be this fall. And it just so happens that I wrote the Curious Minnesota story about the history of Nicollet Island several years ago. And so what a better opportunity to sort of revisit that and talk about the history of this very unique place, which if you can hear the birds chirping, you can't see the trees, obviously. But we're in a public park here right next to downtown. It's 2022. I don't think that you are allowed to get married without doing a history podcast about the place where you are getting married first. Exactly. So we're going to be talking today with Chris and Rushika Haig, who wrote a great book about sort of the ups and downs of Nicollet Island, which was once one of the most prominent addresses in all of Minneapolis. But this island doesn't look like it did even in the 1960s. And part of the reason for that is that local governments several decades ago were flush with cash for demolishing buildings and buying land for parks. And at the same time, a burgeoning historic preservation movement that was happening here and elsewhere in the United States ensured that not every Everything here was demolished. So this island in its history is in some ways sort of a microcosm of a lot of urban movements that have happened over the course of the 20th century. And so we should talk today with Chris and Rushka. But before we do, let's hear from Paul Kopnik, our reader who asked us this great question. I like to bike around Nicollet Island and I like to know a history of Minneapolis. I have a lot of historic books about Minneapolis and I found it interesting that the Nicollet Island was one of the few, if not the only park in Minneapolis where it has private residences on it. So I always was curious how that came to be. Well, Chris and Rushika, thank you so much for coming in. So this is a very unusual place. What's the elevator speech about why why should people read your book, first of all, but why should they go visit the island and why should they know the history of the island? Well, Nicollet Island is a special place. It's one of the largest islands in the Mississippi River. It's one of the few inhabited islands in the Mississippi River, and it is central to Minneapolis history and the growth of the city, and it really is a little microcosm of Minneapolis history. And And I mean, it's basically, you know, here we are in a city that is known for its parks. The whole thing is a park, yet it has things on it, right? I mean, it's all owned by the park board, which is interesting. So I'm going to give listeners a little preview of this story. This is a roller coaster of history. I mean, we're talking about gilded mansions that are later in, like, decay with, like, broken windows 100 years later. There's quite an arc to this story. So let's start this with the the pre-European settlement in Minnesota. So what was happening on this island when Native people were inhabiting this region? What was sort of the significance of the island and, and, you know, what was going on there? So this was an area that was significant to the American Indian tribes that lived in the area. 
area. So down here around Minneapolis, it was mostly Dakota area. And then as you would go further north, you get up to, say, Anoka, and then you're dealing with the Ojibwe. These groups would fight each other. But one of the places which, according to Dakota oral history, it was kind of a neutral place was Nicollet Island. And the reason for that is St. Anthony Falls, which is just downstream of the island, it was kind of a, a sacred district. According to their religion, there was a water spirit named Unkteri that lived in the falls. And um, there also used to be an island there where eagles would alight. And it's, you know, one of the sadnesses that that island south of the falls no longer exists, but that had spiritual significance for the American Indians here. Is that Spirit Island? Spirit Island. Okay. Yeah, that's right. And then, so the island was just kind of north of this sacred area. And Again, according to the oral history, what they believe is that women would go there for childbirth because an island is safe from predators. And so you're not dealing with bears or wolves or that sort of thing. And then also they believe they did transition ceremonies like from boyhood to manhood. So you'd go there and, and observe, you know, various rites to make that transition. And then uh, uh, maple syruping. There used to be a lot of maple trees on the island. That's actually the native, you know, would, would have been the native species there. And they would go there to do maple syrup harvesting, which is significant for uh, American Indians, their foodstuffs. Okay. And the Dakota called it uh, Witawaste, the beautiful island. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, and I mean it's and so this was probably going on for hundreds of years before this the section that we're going to talk about, which is when you know the Europeans arrive. So we know like Zebulon Pike came to the island at one point. Like so, we start to see you know there's there's uh, white settlement and white exploration starting to happen. When does the island start to actually have white settlers living on it and things like the that? The very first are a couple called the Norths, John and Anne North. They are probably better known to people as the founders of Northfield. Okay. So as we said, this is a bit of a, a historical roller coaster. So at some point we get to an, an era where we have the sort of top names, the who's who of Minneapolis living on the island, and it's also sort of a center of industry, right? So how does that all kind of get built out? So after the, the Norths, people did start to build manufacturing along the riverbanks. So initially the product was the logs that would float down the river. There was Boom Island to the north of Nicollet Island, and that referred to the booms that would pull the logs from the river into the East Channel, and then they would get pulled out of the water and put into mills. And then later, Minneapolis became the mill city due to the flour that was brought in. So we had initially logging, and then it was later flour. Now, while this was going on, you know, different entrepreneurs would be in charge of these industries, and some of them built their houses. Actually, there were several mansions on Nicollet Island, but I, I think one of the interesting things about it is it's about, you know, 55 acres, and so it was a group of day laborers, rivermen, you know, used to a rough outdoor life whose, you know, dads and grandpas had been, you know, voyageurs. So, they were living on the riverbanks, and then you would have some of the houses that still exist who were, you'd probably describe them as middle management and the different concerns, and then all the way up to the super wealthy living in this one area. And these are names that people might recognize today even, right? Yeah, it's kind of the who's who of Minneapolis, some of the founders of Minneapolis, Joel Bassett, who Bassett Creek is named after, lived there at one point, um, Eastman. William King, who started a fair and this newspaper. And it is at that period during the Gilded Age 
one of the best neighborhoods to live in. Right. And so there's mansions. There's also the Grove Street Flats are built at that time and the Eastman Flats. And they are one of the most elegant addresses in Minneapolis. They have hot and cold running water and indoor plumbing. And they're modeled after brownstones in New York and Boston. And it's kind of the place to be if you can get in there. Yeah. And I mean, listeners of this podcast may remember we talked about William Eastman in relation to the, the tunneling that he did that ended up almost destroying St. Anthony Falls. But that tunneling was going to Nicollet Island, right? So was he living on the island at that time too, basically? Yes. Uh, and he was trying to increase the water power from the falls, mm-hmm. but it turned out disastrously, <laughs> nearly collapsed the falls, right. nearly Although we out. learned a lot of good lessons about the falls in the process. Yes, we did. Yeah. We did. The Minneapolis plan of 1917 and a lot of other plans over time have had like grand ideas about Nicollet Island because because of its location, I guess. So what are some of those? And they haven't really, they never really came to fruition, right? Yeah, I think it's an acknowledgement that it's sort of the special place. And so it's been everything from at one point, there was a proposal to move the state capital there. An aerodome was proposed at one point. I think another one of the proposals had sort of these high density skyscrapers and uh, somebody wanted to put canals there at one point, which would have been another terrible idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just it it would not have worked. So let's talk about the decline, because this leads us into why the island looks different today. So we were talking about sort of turn of the century and, and that period. But by the 60s, I mean, it's kind of like Skid Row Part 2, right? I mean, like the city has demolished its its downtown core, Skid Row area. And now it feels like a lot of that activity is existing on Nicollet Island, right? Which And so the island is seen as like a blight, basically. So how does that all sort of materialize? Yeah, it went from being a very desirable place to uh, a place that was in pretty rough shape. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the well-to-do people moved out of the city. They moved out towards the lakes, the automobile facilitating that. Kind of between the World War periods, things got a bit more dodgy there. And eventually things decayed and um, the place turned into, you know, having a lot of vagrants and uh, a lot of, uh, you know, people living in sort of substandard housing. There was a, a rather significant hippie colony there by the 60s and it was uh, somewhat dangerous at that time too. So suddenly governments are flush with cash for different reasons, right? So urban renewal, we've heard of that in relation to downtown, but the attention of that starts to turn to Nicollet Island, right? One of the things that happens is the Grove Street Flats were in disrepair. They had gone from being these elegant places to being places that had been subdivided and were basically like cheap rooming homes and boarding houses. And so that was one of the first places they turned to and they said, this is a hazard. We just need to demolish it. Mm-hmm. And so literally at the last minute, John Kerwin came in and was able to put together a plan and some funds to save the Grove Street Flats and mm-hmm. renovate them. Okay. O- almost all the houses, in effect, got saved. It was sort of a remarkable compromise is there were a lot of people who lived there and loved the place and um, there are other people who wanted the whole thing flattened and they, they brought an architect in to do a survey and he said, in nowhere in America is there a collection of essentially Victorian era houses mm-hmm. like this. And so it's fortunately it was saved. So the the houses were saved. The history was saved. Mm-hmm. A few of them were demolished because they were too far gone and not worth saving. But the area turned from being a rather dodgy place into an area where some of the people who had lived there during that period got to stay. Mm-hmm. And other people who invested in the place and ended up loving it were able to restore the homes right. and, and, and make it a pleasant place now. And the land underneath the houses was given a 99-year land lease. Mm -hmm. and then is held by the park board. Right. 
So, and maybe we're jumping around in time here a little bit, but for listeners' understanding, I mean, it used to be when you went across Hennepin Avenue, the commercial activity kind of kept going. There wasn't, right now, there's basically kind of this dead zone, free, you know, it's not a freeway, but kind of a highway type bridge that goes over the island. But it used to be very different. And so, the, so there's that stuff gets erased at some point, And also the sort of commercial industrial that was on the south end of the island kind of gets erased. So that all, was that pre the home? issue basically yeah the um the bridge that goes across now is the fourth bridge the the third the third bridge had all sorts of commercial interests along it it was hotels bars restaurants that that whole thing and a lot of them were extremely dodgy so when they put in the new bridge that was an opportunity to kind of get rid of uh, you know a certain degree of urban blight and then there were that was like the 70s or so uh yeah and then at the southern tip of the island, there were also a lot of commercial businesses uh, and factories, and all of them got demolished or, or burned up at one point, actually just demolished. And the two that are remaining are the Nicollet Island Pavilion and the Nicollet Island Inn and Restaurant. And those are two of the old buildings from that, that area that got saved and uh, restored and renewed. Okay. And is part of the reason that the park board ends up being a big player here that, you know, there's a lot of regional park money in the 70s and 80s. I mean, the Met Council is created and suddenly the, there's money to buy up land for parks. I mean, it's there's a couple like seemingly historical themes that play out in this history, one being urban renewal, another being buying parkland, and the other being historical preservation taking off in similar times, right? Well, one of the ironies about it now being a park is that initially when Eastman and Miriam bought the island, they offered it to the city as a park. And the city said, yeah, no, we're good. I think we'll pass on that. <laughs> so that that moment right there might have changed everything right. before they really started developing it. And you know, a lot of houses were built. Mm-hmm. But that is one of the other things that figures into the renewal on the island is the growing movement and understanding of historic preservation. Mm -hmm. And so this architectural survey that was done was part of that saying, we can't just tear these places down. These are significant and important historical houses. And so absolutely the renewal benefits from the growth, the the beginning of the historical preservation movement. And the other thing people will find if they go to the island today is De La Salle High School, which has been there for a very long time, right? So they've survived all these transitions over the years. Yeah, De La Salle High School um, was established there in 1900. It was founded by the Christian Brothers, who are a Roman Catholic teaching order wh- whose mission is to teach to the poor. And in this case, they've sort of been reconfigured to teach to city kids. But yeah, they had a very small um, facility in the beginning, and then they ended up buying some of the mansions and then expanding their, their footprint there. But yeah, De La Salle has been there for over 100 years. Wow. Okay. I wanted to do this podcast because I think it's this island is worth visiting. It's worth seeing. It is very unusual. I mean, there's parts of the island uh, where the houses are where you feel like you're a little bit back in time. I mean, there's chickens and there's picket fences and you don't feel it's very quiet there's not a lot of like cars all around and then you know you go to other parts and it's like kind of you're right on the river staring down at sort of the St. Anthony Falls the Horseshoe Dam and you really feel very present in sort of the hub of Minneapolis in a way. Yeah I think that's one of the things about the island that's important that it was 
the hub of Minneapolis when it started and the original Twin Cities, St. Anthony and Minneapolis. And then as time goes on, that's sort of forgotten as flour milling ends here in Minneapolis, that whole area sort of changes and gets forgotten, becomes kind of a skid row area as we talked about. And part of the renewal I think is also remembering how central the island and the river and the falls were to the development of Minneapolis. Well, great. Well, thank you all so much. And so your book is called Nicollet Island History and Architecture. There's different versions of the book, right? One is more picture heavy and one is more text heavy. That's correct. And so if people want the whole history, they can get the book, but also they could just go stroll around, right? And sort of take it in themselves if they want to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for coming. We appreciate it. All right. Thank thank you. you. All right, folks, that's it for today's show. We are back here on Nicollet Island where we began the episode. And again, it's just a beautiful night. There's people on picnic benches. There's joggers. There's people looking at the river, people walking their dogs. But yeah, we're very excited to be back here in a couple months. To get married. To get married. So exciting. No, it's very exciting. Do we get to do multiple takes of the wedding like we did with this podcast? (laughs) I don't think so. I think we get one shot at that. Uh Uh-oh. I am going to practice. Okay. If you have any feedback about this show, email us at curious at startribune.com. Or if you have other questions you'd like to see us tackle on this show, email us at curious at startribune.com. If you have any advice just on a happy, long life as a married couple, please send those to curious at startribune.com. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.